The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Seven minutes after 11 o'clock. This is the final hour of The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. In this hour, we're going to be speaking to the Department of Social Development. They're hosting the Sexual Reproductive Health Justice Conference. And they're going to be telling us all about this conference. This falls in line, of course, uh, with Human Rights Month and the different aspects thereof. Specifically about restoring agency, complete bodily autonomy and agency for women in South Africa. Incredibly important conversation. And sexual reproductive health falls squarely in the ambit thereof. Uh, To tell us more about this conference and to talk us through the different themes, the different conversations and the different programs pertaining to it is Dr. Nelifar Khan, who is the Acting Director for Population and Development Research uh, in the Department of Social Development. Dr. Khan, good morning. Good morning, Oliver. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, Reproductive health justice. Still a lot of progress to be made in South Africa, but definitely a lot of uh, victories have been won uh, during our democratic dispensation. What is the aim of this conference? Well, um, the aim of the conference really is to bring together all the different sectors, whether it's government, civil society, academia, to come together to understand what sexual reproductive justice means for the country, what it means to different people, and to try and forge a way in how it can be a reality for everyone. So we're trying to focus on evidence-based knowledge generation, um, what are those areas of collaboration, and what are the partnerships that we can strengthen in the way in which that we can ensure that SRJ is um, made possible a reality for everyone yeah and and then the conference then brings to be together different stakeholders to be able to sit around that table who are we speaking about here Well, we have representatives from academia, the different um, universities around us. We have uh, civil society organizations, um, NGOs who work at the coalface of SRHR issues, working with young people. Um, We also have representatives from different government departments, for example, health and education, because this work cannot happen, um, you know, in their absence. So it's a really a multi kind of stakeholder approach that we are taking. And we're trying to draw everyone into the conversation because SRJ affects everyone. Yeah. Um, given given the, just how contentious the conversation is around sexual reproductive health, because it attains to things such as uh, women being able to access pap smears, women being able to access uh, contraceptives, abortions, uh, women being able to access the necessary health pertaining to all of uh, uh, medical access to all of that. Uh, it really is a multifaceted conversation. Perhaps let's zone in on each of those aspects and, 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 and look at them each in turn. Um, Do we have universal access to contraceptives in South Africa? Yes. We, we do have universal access to contraception. It is made clear in the different uh, contraception guidelines by the Department of Health. Women are able to access such contraception at public health care facilities. They are supposed to ask for what suits them for their lifestyle. So there is provision made. Of course, we know that whilst you know in theory or what the policy says is one thing but what people actually experience on the ground is quite different uh we know of cases where um there are stockouts um this was really a situation in around COVID 19 where women were not able to access the contraception um that they prefer and you know there was obviously resulting consequences from that so we have done a lot um over the years you know the different types of um commodities has you know gotten better however uh, we know that we're not where we really want to be at this point. Where do we want to be? And how far are we from we want, that? 
we want to be at a point where anyone who requires a service, whether it's contraception, whether it's screening services, is able to have safe and equal access to those services. Our constitution speaks a lot about rights. Um, for example, a lot of the uh, policies and legislation talks about sexual reproductive health and rights. The right to access the services there, however, if the right is the right becomes meaningless if the access is not provided and that's really the crux of srj it's about understanding what are those barriers that is preventing people from accessing such services what are those political barriers social barriers economic barriers what are the multiple inequalities that people face in their personal lives as well as in their communities that prevent such access and which ultimately affects that right being realized yeah um can we for a moment then just ask the question whether or not um, access to contraceptives, pap smears, and even the necessary screenings, for instance, so something as, as seemingly mundane as HPV screenings, but which does a lot for fighting ovarian cancer, for instance, uh, whether those sorts of things fall into the ambit of primary health care. Because if it does, then there's a conversation about the infrastructure around it, whether or not you should be able to walk into your local clinic and access those resources and services. Yes, all of that is available in the primary healthcare package. And South Africa takes the position of universal healthcare, which includes an integrated healthcare, which includes SRHR services. Like I said earlier, whilst we have these provisions, we know that on the ground it is quite difficult, or it's quite different rather. Um, in some healthcare clinics, you might have the technology, you have the personnel the resources, etc., to to be able to provide such uh, services to people who acts who need to access it. However, if you're looking at rural healthcare facilities, they might not have the resources to provide such services, even basic services such as screening. We also know that healthcare providers, well, they have been trained um, to provide such services. Yeah. Um, sometimes, um, you know, in between when they, uh, you know, the trainings are not updated, so that is how they are not in a well, in a good position to provide such, um, you know, updated training. And so basically, it's a mix of resources, human capacity, and the constraints that come from that. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw this really play out. We have, you know, an unequal health uh, healthcare system. And this inequality just really widened with the, um, you know, the ambit of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So what is the crisis? What is the issue there that uh, presents, uh, you know, disproportionate access to healthcare across different parts of the country? Is it a resource issue? Is it a policy issue? And, and where do we begin to solve it? I think from the perspective of the person, sometimes people might not have the economic resources, the psychological resources, um, you know, to access such health care. A basic thing like transport, you might be in yeah. a far rural area, but if you do not have the transport, you know, safe transport, might I add, um, to, you know, to access such health care you are not going to, you know, uh, get what you need. And so, if, for example, what if it's contraception? Um, mm, you know, you need mm. to go every month or every three months if you do not have safe transport to get you there and back. And even if you do get there, does the health facility have those uh, resources that you need? So it's it's multiple. There's a lot of things that influence um, the way in which a person can access a particular service. Give us a call if you want to be a part of this conversation. If you have a comment or a question to raise, give us a call. 86 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Tobega in Etequini. Tobega, good morning. Morning, Oliver. How are you? Morning to your guests. Well, I'm well, Tobega. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Okay. This is my... I have a question um, for your guests there. 
Um, I think we, um, as blind, um, blind people and blind women in particular, we have difficulties when it comes to acquiring and like, getting help for children with effective health. Um, because obviously if a blind person presents themselves, let's say a blind person has an STI, for instance, or a blind person is pregnant, a blind woman is pregnant, the moment you get such attitudes from the, the staff mm. where they'll say, oh, you can't see, but you can see the man. You know, such, they make like such mm. statements like that. And now blind people, blind women in particular, feel very shy to go to... Um, to, to the healthcare facilities and also there is no targeted program that says we are going to go and educate blind women because they don't realize the problems that we experience because I think for a sighted person they can say okay I can't see this person because I see this and this and this and this you don't know what to look out for mm, that's, mm. Uh, that's another pro- problem that we have and also when such initiatives take place we are never a part of them. Like, I uh, don't think the National Council for the Blind is actually part of the stakeholders that will be taking part in this because we've had cases of blind um, youth, maybe that fall pregnant, getting sterilized without their consent. Mm. So oh my there goodness. are such yeah. problems that exist. So um, I don't know, maybe it's, it's too late to add another stakeholder to participate because really the viewpoint of a visually impaired person isn't represented in most cases. Thank you so much for raising that, Tobega. Do you want to reflect on that, Dr. Khan? I mean, is the approach by the Department of Social Development in such initiatives, is it an intersectional approach? Yes, um, thank you very much to the caller who raised a very, very important issue. Yes, the way we are approaching um, SRJ is, of course, very intersectional. And we realize people have varying abilities, vulnerabilities, as well as capabilities. The disability, um, persons with disability, is certainly a focal area for us. Before getting to the conference, we had a series of uh, seminars. And one of the themes that we spoke about in the seminars was on persons with disabilities and the challenges that they face in exercising their reproductive health and rights, which ultimately impacts on whether they can attain their SRJ. Similar to what your caller mentioned, we had you know, participants also mentioning the same thing about they feeling shy or uh, reserved about, you know, getting um, uh, SRHR services. But even if they are able to access, it's the reception that they get when they get to the healthcare facilities. Yeah. It's the stigma that they face, the discrimination that they face, and the misnomer that persons with disabilities are not sexual beings. Mm. And this is what this conference and the conversation that we're taking forward to say is that that is not the case. They have needs and we need to meet them. And that is why we are also saying through the conference is that the government response must have you know uh, must be disability responsive um, and not just it's all spectrums across the disability um, you know it's it's what in the conference in particular we're talking about intellectual disabilities um, so the thing is that we have to concentrate on persons with disabilities and yes it's not too late to come to the conference perhaps your producers can put me in touch with the caller yeah. and we'd love to welcome them to come to the conference please because we are trying to bring everyone into the conversation and yes disability is a very important uh, topic for us in the context of SRJ. Mm-hmm. Tobega, are you, are you happy with that? Very happy. I'll wait for the invite. Yeah, thank you so much. Really, really do appreciate it. Give us a call if you want to be a part of this conversation. 86 2032 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 Let's take a quick break. On the other side of this, we continue. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. 
20 minutes after 11 o'clock, you are listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon, and I'm in conversation uh, at this hour with Dr. Nelifa Khan, who is the Acting Director for Population and Development Research at the Department of Social Development. And we're talking about the Sexual Reproductive Health Justice Conference spearheaded by the Department of Social Development. Dr. Khan, what do we hope to come out of this conference? A roadmap? A white paper? A document? A, A compact of sorts? What 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 does success look like? Sure. The conference really, because we're trying to take a very integrative, collaborative approach, we're trying to bring in all our stakeholders and consult with them so that we could develop a national sexual reproductive justice um, strategy. And this strategy would look at the different pillars, whether research, policy, training, program, uh, capacity building. What are those different pillars that need to be addressed at the individual Um, at the community level, um, you know, at a national level, provincial level, what are those um, important aspects that need to be addressed in the strategy? So that is the the major outcome of this process. But obviously, Mm. there are other outcomes in terms of, you know, fostering a more collaborative way of working, etc. And the plan is to also take this um, national strategy to cabinet and have that process through to cabinet. Mm. So at least... That will facilitate, um, you know, other government departments in understanding and positioning their role in the conversation of SRG and how it can be made a reality for everyone. Mm. What does capacity building look like? Does it mean training more nurses or giving specialized training to healthcare professionals uh, that are already existing in the system? What does it look like? Yes, it would include exactly what you've just mentioned. It's about training, but appropriate training. And also linking back to what your caller earlier mentioned about disability. It's about training service providers to meet the needs of different stakeholders or different, um, you know, uh, people who walk through the door or come through or, you know, into the healthcare facilities. They have particular needs. How do I address it? If it's someone who is um, from the um, who identifies as LGBTQIA plus, their needs right. are quite different from you know uh, from maybe a young person in the urban area, rural area. So we need to have training that is. Uh, consistent with state obligations, but training that also reflects the changing context that we live out, or that we find ourselves mm, in. You mm. must remember some of the uh, service providers um, completed their training, you know, maybe 10, 15, maybe longer. The context was very different. What we have now is very different. So we need to have more consistent training, values clarification, how it is that our personal beliefs mm. intersect with the services that we provide, and how in the end can we come to a point where we provide these services to the people who need it. What conversation is the Department of Social Development pertaining to this having with the Department of Education, right? Because it is really at the level of basic education that we need to get the foundation of sexual reproductive health correct. Yes, that's very correct. The Department of Education is one of our key um, you know, government departments who are partnering with us um, in this initiative. And we are working alongside them um, around a comprehensive sexuality education. What are the scripted lesson plans? What needs to be put into the curricula? What are issues of importance that young people at schools as well as out of school that need to know, um, you know about their bodies, about when to introduce the conversation, how to introduce the conversation about bodies, sexuality, um, things like menstruation, menstrual health management. Um, so Department of Basic Education is a very key uh, uh, department, and we have them here at the conference as well. They are speaking about menstrual health management, they're speaking about um, CSE in schools, and they're also speaking about the proposed uh, guidelines on, um, it's about sexual orientation and gendered identities in school, and what the department proposes to deal with that uh, in the school setting. That's interesting that that level of, of content is being introduced in the t- into the curricula, right? But doing that is one thing, getting the pedagogy is also another thing, 
getting the pedag pedagogy correct is also the other thing. It's about equipping, like you said, capacity building in teachers to have the right language and sensitivity to be able to have these conversations uh, with, with young people and children in the classroom. Uh, do you know if we have, I guess, the appetite in South Africa to move towards that because it's a values-based conversation as well? It's a difficult conversation for many, but it's a conversation that needs to happen. I think when we look at children, we see them as little beings that need to be protected, as much as that is the case for many. But we need to protect them um, in the sense that their body should not be violated. They should know what a violation is. They should know what to do if such thing happens. They need to be able to express themselves. And so such conversations need to happen apart from the home, also needs to happen in the classroom. And educators, we know there is some resistance to some of the ideas that we are trying to introduce into the CSE uh, curricular, but it is necessary. And that goes back also to the training aspect that I mentioned. Educators as well need to be brought into the conversation. And in other areas of work that we have done, we know this can be successfully done. There was work done in the Eastern Cape where um, educators um, attended training on CSE and spoke a lot about the issues around, um, you know, uh, abortion. It spoke around um, contraception. And they were able to take those learnings from the training and obviously, you know, look at it from their personal perspective and find a way how in which they can articulate that. And in fact, educators within that study that we did found that they gained a lot more confidence. Um, at times they might agree, but they just don't have the words to express right. it in the classroom. So it can be done. Um, I think the momentum is building um, in terms of how intense this needs to be and, and the importance of it. So that's something that needs to definitely be done with the um, education space. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107. Let's go to the lines. Uh, Mum Adelaide out in Newcastle. Good morning. Good morning, Mama Nijan. I'm well, I'm well, Mama. How are you? Fine, thanks, Baba. Because I'm a Mm. In a please, please, please. I'm a topic yeah Thank you so much, Mama. I really appreciate it. Dr. Khan, two points being raised there by uh, Mama Adelaide calling from Newcastle. On the first score, she argues that this is a very, very important conversation, incredibly important, but it's often the case that these conversations happen in inaccessible ways, such as language. Part of it means that people who can't speak English are unable to access the necessary education pertaining to this. Do, what are your thoughts uh, on that? And programmatically, how's the department addressing that? 
yes, I completely agree uh, with the author, uh, with with your caller. Um, we had an experience of this actually in one of our seminar series where we were talking about SRJ, and this was a seminar that we had in Limpopo. And part of the seminar was around group discussions, and we found that people uh, were more confident to speak in Sepedi uh, around these issues, and we welcome that. And I think also that needs to be taken into account when we are designing such programs that we need to bring in, uh, you know, um, home languages as well into the conversation because it's expressed very differently. In English, you can say it, it rolls off well, sexual reproductive justice. But within, you know, um, in a home languages, it's very, it's a very different thing. You probably have to say a few sentences to even get to that uh, three letters, three words that I've just mentioned. So this is something that we are also taking into account. Apart from, uh, we are saying that interventions need to be disability responsive, they need to be culturally and language responsive as well. So this is something that hopefully through the outcome of the conference, we will be in a better position to address, but it is definitely a point that we are going to be taking forward. Mm. And and, and is, are these programs active and well attended? Well, the seminar series really was. Uh, we had, um, you know, a series of eight context-building seminars, which, you know, led up to now the conference. And each of the seminars had a different theme. Um, so, for example, we had underserved populations in the Eastern Cape. Um, then we had migration and um, SRJ. We had urbanization in SRJ. Uh, we had poverty and inequality. So we tackled a number of themes in relation yeah. to SRJ um, because. It's, it's quite a big conversation, so we felt to sort of, you know, compartmentalize it. But even though they were separated into different seminars, they were very much intersecting. And these seminars were well attended, well appreciated. Um, in some instances, we had, you know, attendance up to 150 uh, participants uh, for a seminar from a wide range of um, stakeholders. And even here at the conference as well, we have some representatives who were at those provincial seminars here again at the conference. So the conversation is continuing, and that's what we want. Yeah, there's a second issue that was raised by Mom Adelaide, but I want us to take a break uh, before we, we address that issue. Uh, give us a call, 86 It's half past 11. Dineo Mudaung as your headlines. You were listening to The Talking Point. Uh, very important conversation we're having about sexual reproductive justice, rep- sexual reproductive health justice, a conference taking place headed by the Department of Social Development. Uh, before we went to the break, we had a call from Mum Adelaide in Newcastle raising two issues. One about uh, accessibility of the conversation itself, both in terms of uh, language uh, and framing. And the second question was around abortions, that uh, oftentimes what she finds is that the proliferation of these conversations about abortion encourages young women, uh, nefariously so she argues, uh, to seek abortions. Um, what's 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 your view on that, Dr. Khan? It's commonly expressed um, in any conversation around abortion. But I think we need to start off with the fact that how did the pregnancy come about in the first place if a person is seeking abortion? Um, was there an unmet need at the time? Maybe it was contraception or whatever it was. And now, um, is the pregnancy unsupported? Um, is the pregnancy unintended? And that is why someone is reaching an abortion. I think as much as um, the conversation is around abortion, and obviously we're advocating for safe abortion, um, because we know that we have those you know, clandestine abortions, which has other health ramifications. Right. But before the conversation gets to abortion, let's talk about the conditions or the circumstances that perhaps were not favorable for the person before they got to the point of abortion. Mm. Um, and 
often you'll find that perhaps it was unmet need in contraception. They went to the healthcare facility. They wanted maybe the implant, but they want, but they decided to give them the injection. The person refused the injection, and therefore there was no contraception, and perhaps an unintended pregnancy uh, ensued. Um, support around a pregnancy. Um, sometimes, um, depending on who uh, you know the couple is um, that is now finding themselves pregnant, is there a supporting uh, framework around that person, be it from family or partner support, and that's the reason the person is going for abortion. So I think we need to understand, you know, um, the context around uh, an abortion and every abortion or every um, pregnancy that possibly is going to lead in an abortion is very different. All of our contextual factors are different and that needs to be acknowledged and understood. Yeah. Uh, sexual reproductive health is not exclusively a woman's issue. It's predominantly a woman's issue, but not exclusively so. Men too have sexual reproductive health concerns, but men have vastly different health-seeking behaviors from women just across the board, right? What are some of the issues coming up in the conference pertaining to sexual reproductive health uh, for men? Yes, um, that is a very important point that you raise and was also raised in the seminars prior to the conference is that what is the role of men and boys? Um, like you correctly pointed out, the conversation centers a lot on women, especially young women, but they are not an island on their own. They are surrounded by partners, uh, family members, etc. And how do they, specifically now men and boys, come into the conversation and support um, the woman in the attainment of SRJ? Men and boys also have reproductive needs, uh, whether it's um, you know cancer screening, whether uh, they want to access you know vasectomies, or even just health care needs around their reproductive health. Um, but we know that, like you said, men have different health-seeking behaviors to women. They are a bit more reluctant um, because it is quite an intimate and personal space to open up to, yeah. um, especially if a man goes to a healthcare facility and who is he greeted by? He's greeted by an older nurse that is possibly the age of his mom, for example. How does he then now talk about his reproductive needs? Say he presents with an STI, how does he talk about that with someone that he, in his opinion, perhaps you know, might resemble um, the age of his mom? So there's those mm, um, difficulties mm. or those interactions that um, determine whether men go for healthcare services or not. Um, but in the conference, we do have um, focus on men and boys. Tomorrow in, in the plenary, we're going to have a discussion on the role of men and boys through a presentation by um, Sonke Gender Justice. We're going to talk about the State of Fathers report. I believe it's a seminar, it's a report series. And so they're going to talk about men and boys um, in the conference. And as we move towards the strategy, we definitely want to pay attention to this uh, group of persons as well. Yeah, that that obviously very, very critically important. Um, just uh, can you take me through some of the civil society organizations you're partnering with here or that are stakeholders around the table? Because it's quite interesting that you men uh, mentioned uh, Sisonka Gender Justice. They're quite a prominent civil society organization group. What are some of the other partners uh, involved, especially social partners? Yeah, we've got um, on Friday morning, we've got a, a panel discussion and on the panel discussion, we've got um, a representative from Gender Dynamics who, you know, advocates on behalf of LGBTQIA plus persons. We've got um, uh, an organization, uh, Mother for Future, uh, which talks about sex work and um, that is also gaining some traction in terms of the decriminalization of sex work, the move uh, towards that. So we're highlighting that into the conference as well. We've got other um, NGOs, for example, um, I think it's the S. SRHR Africa Trust, which centers a lot of advocacy around SRHR, and we've got youth uh, representatives from that particular organization. So we've got multiple organizations that look at different aspects within SRHR, but the important thing is that we've drawn them in, they're in the room, and we're having this conversation with them. 
Yeah, give us a call. 086-000-2032. Perhaps tell us about the conference itself. Where is it taking place? um, And for members of the public who just want to listen in, want to follow the discussions, want to follow the strategy that comes about, uh, tell us about how that is possible. Sure. Um, the conference begins today. Um, we're currently in the opening session, and I've just excluded myself from that. But um, the conference starts today, and it ends on Friday. It's happening um, in Pretoria, in Pretoria East specifically, at a venue called Deep in the Bear. So we are here, and the conference uh, has a number of um, opening and, uh, well, sorry, not opening plenary sessions as well as parallel sessions. And each of these parallel sessions have specific themes. So, for example, now, um, once we're done uh, with this uh, element or this part of the uh, conference, we're going to break into a theme, a parallel theme that looks at bodily autonomy, integrity, and self-expression. There's a theme on mental health and SRJ, which is also another area that deserves a lot of attention. Um, in the afternoon, we're talking about families, maternities, and SRJ. So basically, what happens in our maternity wards in the country, the state of motherhood and SRJ. We're also talking about people on the move and SRJ. Um, yeah, so there's and children in SRJ also. We're also bringing in the conversation on climate change and SRJ. And what does that mean uh, for uh, the South African context? Also about preparedness, disaster preparedness and management. So we're trying to tackle various um, aspects of SRJ. Again, continuing the conversation that started in the seminar series. And here we are taking it forward in the conference and beyond, especially as we move towards the development of the strategy. Dr. Khan, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you very much, Oliver. Thanks for having me. Dr. Nelifa Khan, who is with the Department of Social Development.